What you're about to hear is of a general nature and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, needs or objectives. We recommend you seek financial advice before making any decisions about your super and consider the relevant Unisuper product disclosure statement. Hi there and welcome back to another episode of Super Informed Radio, the Unisuper podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening to the first couple. We'll jump straight into it. I'm Marta. I'm Rob. And I'm Lyndon. And as Marta said, we are back and uh, it's February 2017. How that happened, no one quite knows. Uh, it's come around very quickly, but we've got a great podcast uh, for you today. We've got an interview with Professor Peter Bossarts. Yeah, he's from the University of Melbourne and the first uni super member we've actually interviewed, so we're very excited about that. And his area of expertise is financial decision making. Yeah, and the science behind it. And uh, Rob, who do you and Marta catch up with? We had a chat with Trevor Schmidt, who is the manager of the Financial Advice Centre here at UniSuper. Mm-hmm. He's going to basically simplify the various levels of advice that members can access here at UniSuper and also talk about a new and exciting initiative that they're about to launch. Fantastic. Shall we jump straight in? Let's do it. So when you make a decision about what airline to fly with or how to invest your super or savings, what's actually going on in between your ears? One of our members and experimental finance and decision science researcher Peter Bossarts says there's actually a lot to be gained by looking at how the underlying neural activity works when making decisions. Peter's currently the Professor of Experimental Finance and Decision Neuroscience at the University of Melbourne's Brain, Mind and Markets Lab. Peter, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So Peter, how actually is a decision made? That's actually a very good question (laughs) because for most economists and finance academics, a decision is you just maximise some utility subject to some budget constraint. And you somehow have utility function out there that's encoded, maybe in the brain. Um, they don't take this model literally, but that's what they think um, is, um, it, it's a good uh, way to think about choice. It turns out that this is absolutely not how choice is made, how the brain comes to a, a, a choice. The brain uh, uses a process. It starts from the beginning and then ends up usually within a second, maybe a couple of seconds, sometimes minutes or even hours or days and comes up to him uh, with a decision. If you invest in uh, superannuation funds, of course, it may take a little bit more, although most people actually make their decisions about uh, superannuation fund investments uh, almost on the, uh, uh, at the moment. So there is a lot to be gained from actually trying to understand what the spur of the moment actually gives you. So the brain actually gets all these stimuli and processes this, and there are very par- a lot of parallel processes that go on in the brain. Uh, some of them involve emotions, others are just more a little bit more mathematical. Um, and then it comes up with a decision. These decisions are actually not, usually not that bad. Um, our brain is extremely well developed to navigate an uncertain environment. And so how did we used to think decisions were made? as opposed to how we're learning they're actually made through your research, for example? So we used to think that decisions were just uh, made instantaneously as a rational maximization of some utility function um, with some constraints. And the constraints are basically budget constraints. But as we now go further, we don't look anymore at that idea of constraint optimization. Um, But we actually look at it as, as a process where you get inputs, where you have a particular state of your mind, state of your brain, actually, literally, and that leads to certain outcomes. 
and that allows us to explain why the same person makes different decisions in two different situations, mm. right? One of the things that the old style decision making couldn't deal with is it turns out that people when they're sh they show that they're indifferent be between let's say two types of beers, right? Uh, I grew up in Belgium, so I, my <laughs> examples are all about beer totally <laughs> or chocolate. Um, so two types of beer, uh, there's this brown beer and there's this pale beer, and uh, I'm pretty much indifferent uh, to that. Most people actually would take a long time to decide, why do you do that if you're indifferent anyway? It should be a flip of a coin. Mm -hmm. People are a lot faster when they decide between two beers, one of which they absolutely don't like. And this has to do with the fact the reason why people wait longer is because, as it now turns out, um, yes, people are indifferent, but they find a preference for one beer or another in a particular circumstance. If I'm, for instance, in a bar, I, write, I prefer the pale beer more. If I'm on my own at home and listening to music, I like the brown beer more. Right? So that requires the brain to go back into, into memory and episodic, episodic memory and try to figure out what is the best match at this time. That is completely left unexplained in the traditional theory because there is no space for considerations like that. I read somewhere, Peter, that sometimes people feel more keenly the loss of, like, say, an amount like $10 or versus the gain. Does, does your research, would you say that's true or um, has research come around that disputes that theory? So you're referring to loss of version, Yes, right? I believe so. So there's one aspect of this theory um, mm -hmm. that is extremely important to understand, uh, how it was a break with the past decision theory, and mm -hmm. that is um, people make decisions relative to a reference point, right? Mm -hmm. The loss of version comes in when you actually hate drops relative to that reference point more than you like um, gains relative to that reference point. Loss of version is not universal, mm -hmm. but the reference point is universal, and there's a very deep biological reason uh, for this. Now, the problem with reference points is, and the reason why actually classical decision theory didn't like this is mm -hmm. because you can easily manipulate that reference point, as we all know, right? So you can make people too optimistic, um, you can make them pessimistic, that also is a question of changes in uh, reference points. And so the way you frame, um, let's say an investment, and I have a dramatic effect on whether you're going to invest in or in it or not. And um, I must admit that the financial industry has sometimes exploited this in some of their structured uh, products and be able to actually extract more money than they otherwise would. Uh, so you can sell exactly the same product framed in a completely different way for a much higher price than you would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And people are unaware of this because it's a manipulation of the biological processes. We're often trying to help our members engage with their super to make sure they're equipped with whether it's tools or advice or whatever it is to make the right decision for their own circumstances. And I think that sort of speaks to a greater issue, which is how engaged people are with mm -hmm. their super or not. Um, what do you, why do you think people put super in the too hard basket and what could we do to help? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> there are a number of problems with financial investments, retirement uh, savings. Uh, one is that most of us are never taught from very young uh, age on what financial risks are about. We are taught from a very early age on about uh, Newtonian physics, 
uh, to use a fancy word, but you know, a lot of us actually know uh, pretty much how physics, the basics of physics works. We are taught uh, about some basics of mathematics and so, uh, languages and so, but we are not taught finance. And then when you get your first job, you all at once are asked to make financial decisions that you've never learned about. Mm-hmm. And no wonder that people actually are way, way behind. Uh, they learn about this at an age that maybe <laughs> you could almost say it's too late. It's not true, but that's, uh, you know, that's, mm-hmm. there is a serious issue with that, with awareness. Of, and of course, um, if you don't understand, you like to um, not deal with it. And that's what you see a lot out there. People want to ignore it. The answer to the question as to why are people not engaged and uh, is because it's extremely hard and people are not familiar with it. Say something is too hard for someone and they put it in the hard, too hard basket. Is there anything in your research that um, sort of distinguishes between like a, pa- like a passive decision and an active decision? Right. So um, you bring up the issue of awareness and consciousness. Right. So what are what part of our decisions are conscious? And before you know, you start talking about free will. I actually uh, have decided to work on the easy problems, which is financial markets and financial risk. If you look at financial decision making, an enormous amount of processing in the brain, you're not aware of. This actually brings up a very interesting issue. And that's the issue of emotions in financial decision making. I think it's one of the most misunderstood aspects of financial decision making. The general rule is leave out emotions when you make financial decisions. Why is that? Because people think it's right. (laughs) Um, This goes back actually to uh, the French mathematician Descartes, who uh, uh, thought that that rational decision-making and emotional decision-making are two separate Mm -hmm. uh, things. You see this very deeply ingrained in the way uh, psychology is taught. You have a cognitive system and affective system. If you look in the brain, the cognitive and affective system are pretty much one and the same. Mm-hmm. There are very few exceptions where emotions don't affect your decision-making or the cognitive parts of the brain and vice versa. Right? It is extremely hard to dis- uh, disentangle the two. So now, Peter, if you put yourselves in the shoes of a listener to this podcast, they might be sitting on the train on their daily commute or going about their daily lives. What nugget of advice might you be able to give them to help them with their own decision making be it financial or otherwise what would you say to them I think one should start from scratch and that is familiarize yourself with uh, financial markets um, and overcome this fear that this is all too complicated Uh, people working in the financial industry are often uh, compared to rocket scientists um, uh, <laughs> let, let me quote my, uh, my son, who is a rocket scientist, when he took his first finance class. Dad, this is easy. <laughs> so it's, uh, there is a fear, of course, because of all the jargon we use in finance. Um, and uh, the way we, we, we uh, explain things. Um, I think some of the basics of finance, uh, we should maybe teach people using games. And if you have access to some trading games or something like that, you should just do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Some of uh, the kids are out there playing World of Warcraft and they happily um, participate in auctions and so. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, will be u- very important skills later on. When they're going to be auctioning, be part of an auction when they're buying a house. 
Uh, same thing with you know in general financial markets it would be you know it would be very uh, good for people to go out and reach out and find um, uh, ways to familiarize themselves without financial markets without this pressure of um, you know I, I have to invest for my retirement let's first familiarize yourself uh, with it just like you know we learn to play very important games there in the industry by uh, playing uh, rock paper scissors as kids without thinking, oh, later I'm going to become a CEO and I have to run uh, this um, aerospace company and my rival is called uh, Airbus uh, <laughs> and I have to flip a coin how I'm going to do this, right? <laughs> mm. Well, it sounds like uh, simplification, de-jargonization. And yeah. going back to the basics. Going back to the basics. And playing games. And playing and games. Playing games. Yeah. Could be the key for our members. Thanks so much Excellent. for joining us today, Peter. You're very welcome. Thank you. So, Rob, we just heard there from Peter Bossarts that um, people, well, that his research finds that people are often overwhelmed by super and find that there are too many complex words and jargon which can actually impact their financial decision-making abilities. It's like they'll chuck it away and sort of yeah, put it in the too hard, too hard basket. basket. Yeah. So we at Unisuper try to help our members make those decisions and one of the things that we offer our members is access to financial advice through our Unisuper advice service. So with us today to talk about how we help members make those financial decisions, we've got Trevor Schmidt, who's the manager of our financial advice centre. Welcome. Thank you, Madeline. Nice to be here. Do you think that's true for, was that what you guys find um, within the advice business? Absolutely. That's quite a common experience, Marta. So we find I guess younger members, perhaps where super isn't a priority for them and perhaps they just read about super in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, the government often changes the rules around super and there is a lot of, I guess, jargon around it as well, which makes it difficult uh, to understand. Yeah. Advice is obviously a service we offer here at UniSuper. Um, there is a perception that it can be a bit, a bit expensive. Uh, when it comes to, to younger people um, and, and they're wanting to I guess, set up their, their future goals and advice probably isn't something that they would consider. What would you actually say to them? That's a really good question. I think typically for personal financial advice, it, it can be quite expensive. There, there are fees involved for that service. At UniSuper, we're, we're quite lucky in that we have different levels of advice for our members. So we have general advice, which won't go into the member's personal situation, but we'll provide them with information to help them make informed decisions. Um, that's offered through our on-campus consultants or at our university campuses, We also have our financial assessment centre, which is a call centre, so any member can phone through and get help either through factual information or general advice on the phone. Um, From there, if they do need personal advice and recommendations to help them with their personal circumstances, um, we have simple advice, which is offered through our select advice service. Um, That There is a lower fee for that compared with, say, comprehensive, holistic type of advice, and members can typically also have that fee deducted from their superannuation. Oh, that's handy. So there's a a number of options there for for people looking for different levels of advice. Absolutely. And look, even if a member's just speaking to one of our staff in our UniSuper call centre or, as I mentioned, on-campus consultant, those those staff can help members understand what sort of advice they do Mm. need, if any. And in some cases, members won't actually need personal advice or the timing might be right. Perhaps they want to wait till they're closer to retirement or in a position where perhaps their circumstances settle down a bit. Maybe they're in Mm -hmm. a new job, for example, or just started a family and the time may not be right as well but all of our staff can help guide members in that area. Hmm. So going back to the different sort of levels, you get, you've got the general advice where they can kind of give us a call or go speak to um, an on-campus consultant face-to-face at their work, and then they, or they can call into the Financial Advice Centre or the FAC, as we like to call it here. Um, what kind of topics can members call us about? 
Yeah, so look, for our simple advice service, which we call Select Advice, there mm-hmm. are a range of topics relating to member superannuation accounts that we can help them with. Mm-hmm. Um, the main topics are advice around their contributions, so we can help them with the contribution strategy for the current financial year. Mm-hmm. And look, that comes down to the member's goals. Um, for some members, it's about maximising their concessional contributions, which is before tax contributions. For other members, it's looking at how can they increase their net pay, for mm-hmm. example. Um, so we can actually personalise a strategy and make recommendations. Um, in that regard, we can also help members invest their super in a way that's appropriate for them mm-hmm. so that they they understand how much risk they're taking on, um, so if there are any changes in terms of the performance of the different markets, mm-hmm. members aren't sort of caught out and, and caught trying to make decisions at the, at the wrong point in time, we can help them with a the long-term investment strategy. Cool. And another area that we're seeing more and more advice coming through on is insurance. So the oh, optional yeah. insurance is through Unisuper, so particularly members who have perhaps just purchased a home or gotten married or planning to have a family and children, um, just reviewing their insurance levels to ensure that they're adequately insured. Mm-hmm. Cool. And is there any are there any new areas that we're sort of dipping our toe in in that space? Yeah, look, the next area for the, for the select advice service is looking, I guess, beyond superannuation into yeah. investments outside of super. Oh, wow. Um, so for, particularly for members who have, say, surplus cash flow where they can look at putting regular investments um, mm-hmm. into a non-super investment, and that can be around goals such as perhaps buying your first home or planning to save for children's education where we can help members save outside of super. And look, with, with contribution caps coming down, this will be more and more of a need going forward as well that members will need to look um, in some cases outside of superannuation for appropriate mm-hmm. investments. Fantastic. And when do you envisage that to be launching to our members? This will be launching in the next few months. That's exciting. I think... Um it kind of it would probably help members sort of get a more holistic view of their finances in general. So not just not just isolating their super in one bucket and thinking about it separately, but thinking about your sort of wealth, for want of a better term, as a whole, which I think might be quite useful. Absolutely, Marta. And look, we've talked about some of the simple advice through through the Select Advice Service. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as members, I guess, get closer to retirement, we do have our comprehensive advice service as well through our private client advisors, where they can give members holistic financial planning advice around retirement planning and beyond as yeah. well. Cool. And of course, if anyone wants to contact our advice centre, what is the number, Trevor? The number is 1300 331 685. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Super Informed Radio. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around. And if you have any questions or want more information about anything you've heard today, please feel free to get in touch with us. Superinformed at unisuper.com.au is the email address there. And we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.